Thanks for joining us for another Family Life Today program brought to you Monday to Friday by Power to Change. I'm sure you'll hear something today that could give you a fresh perspective on your marriage or family situation. Be encouraged as we join Dave and Ann Wilson. Well, today is a program my mom would love. She would have been so happy. Yeah, I mean, I can just see her. I mean, she's with the Lord now, but she and my dad went through a divorce when I was seven years old. And think about this. I was in elementary school in the late 60s. I know that just dated me. (laughs) You know, think about it. But I'm pretty sure I was the only kid in the school without a dad. Yeah, I'm sure you were. And today, if I'm right, the stat's more like one out of three go to homes without a dad in the home. Hmm. And so we're going to talk about that. How do we help moms, especially like my mom, raise their kids in that kind of environment. I'm excited we're talking about this because I know a lot of single moms who are friends and they can feel forgotten. Hmm. They can feel alone and they feel at times like, I wish I had somebody that was around me that could help me. And there are people around them, but we're going to give some help today. Yeah, we've got Rollin Warren in the uh, studio with us today. Rollin's written a book called Raising Sons of Promise. And I don't think you've ever been on Family Life Today, have you? Well, years ago. Years ago. I mean, like, yeah. how long ago? You're not yeah. that old. Well, I wrote another book called Bad Dads of the Bible, Eight yeah. Mistakes Every oh, Good I Dad Can Avoid. That. Yes. And I was on with Dennis and uh, wow. Bob. In Little Rock. Yes, in Little Rock. So now what do you think, Orlando? It's warmer here. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So give yeah. us a little bit of your history. I mean, I know you went yeah. to Princeton. Yes. And then ended up in the business world. Give us a little history. So, yeah, went to Princeton and graduated and then went into the business world. And I worked for IBM right out of college and then uh, Pepsi and then and then Goldman Sachs. And then God called me to an organization called National Fatherhood Initiative. What is that? It's still going, right? Oh, you were the yeah. president? Yes, I was president there for 11 years, but it's an organization that's really focused on connecting the hearts of fathers to their kids. So I did that work for a number of years, and then in 2012, God called me to where I am now, CareNet, which is uh, the largest evangelical uh, pregnancy center network uh, in the country. So it, it's really um, focused on helping uh, women and men facing pregnancy decisions uh, choose life for their unborn children and abundant life for their families. So that's sort of the path. Now, yeah interwoven in there. <laughs> it's not sort of a straight line. When I was uh, at Princeton, I actually ended up getting my girlfriend pregnant between my sophomore and junior year. She was a sophomore. I was a junior. And so we were sort of faced with, uh, you know, a decision. She was encouraged to abort. And, you know, we chose to not do that. We chose to bring our child into the world and we got married and we've been married 40 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a lot of that's interconnected, even in terms of the topic of the book, because I grew up without my dad. And then I became a father fairly early in life. And so, you know, all that together, God gave me a heart really for this issue, the fatherhood issue, as evident by my time I spent with National Fatherhood Initiative. But also, as part of that uh, process, a real heart for uh, single moms, because I grew up in that environment. And I grew up in what I call a single mother culture in the sense that many of the women, I'd say probably most of the women that I knew and that I loved were single mothers. Hmm. My sister spent a time as a single mom. Uh, My cousins, many of them were single moms. So I've, I've kind of been in that environment. And I sort of know it pretty well just as a son growing up in that environment. So God gave me a heart for that to sort of minister to moms, to kind of help them understand maybe to to some degree uh, what their sons uh, may be facing. I mean, even as you go back to you're in college and you find out your girlfriend's pregnant, did your mom get involved in that? I mean, walk us into that moment because that had to be, wow, here I am. What am I going to do? Well, you know, interestingly, 
uh, my mom was a, uh, got pregnant when she was 16, 17 years old uh, with my, my older brother. She had me when she was 19. By the time she was 23, she was a single mother with four kids under the age of eight. And my dad was pretty much not there for most of my childhood that I remember, particularly when I was younger. And so when that happened in college, I, candidly, my mom's first response was, you're not going to graduate. You know, this is a problem mm. you know, from that perspective. And so it really was a decision that, you know, that I needed to make on my own in, in terms of moving forward. And thankfully, by, you know, the fact that even though I'd grown up in a home without a dad, because I had spent time in church seeing men being husbands and fathers, the idea of being a baby daddy, you know, or, you know, an absent father or something like that and not being a husband, like that didn't connect in my mind. And that's one of the aspects I talk about quite a bit in the book in terms of like the role that men in the church can play uh, to model for your son a future that you would hope that he would have. I mean, I've never met a single mother yet who said, you know, my hope and my dream for my daughter is that she get pregnant by some guy and he leave her. Or I, mm-hmm. my hope and my dream is for my son to get someone pregnant and leave the woman and leave my grandkids, that kind of thing. So if you want to break that cycle, there's got to be something that's different because, you know, it can be difficult to, to be what you didn't see. And that's part of the experience that I faced, you know, kind of growing up. Yeah. So, Roland, the subtitle of your book is called A Guide for Single Mother of Boys. Yes. Which is sweet. Like, I can't think of very many books that have been written to single moms about raising their sons. But I'm wondering, as you were this little boy growing up in church, do you remember seeing fathers in their families? What did that feel like? Well, you know, I, I often say, you know, kids have a hole in their soul in the shape of their dad. Mm. You know, that God whispers into the wombs of their mothers that there's one who will love them like no other. And if a father is unable or unwilling to fill that hole, it can leave a wound that's not easily healed. And so, you know, for much of my life, I was a wounded soul. You know, and there wasn't much my mom could do about that yeah. because that's that's a hole that's she couldn't fill it. Right. So, you know, as a boy growing up and particularly as I look back on it as a man now, and particularly, you know, God had me on a couch for about 12 years at National Fatherhood Initiative. I, you know, I wanted to be a corporate exec and this, that and the other. And God <laughs> pulled me away from Goldman Sachs and said, no, you're going to do this. And thank God he did, because, you know, there were things that were happening to me and even the way I was parenting and just various different things. I didn't even realize that those things were connected to uh, the absence of my father. So I longed for that connection uh, with my own dad. And, you know, I coveted it when I saw it with others. Yeah. I mean, did you ever lay in bed and resent? I I can remember laying in bed, especially probably middle school age, 13, 14. I can remember laying in bed, looking at the ceiling and yelling at God. Like, why can't I be like Mark Davis's family? Because yeah. their dad was there. They yeah. lived down the street. They had money. We had none. My dad didn't pay alimony. Yeah. And I was resentful. Did yeah. you go through that? I mean, I was angry. I processed it very interestingly in that I tell a story in the book about, you know, when I must have been like 10 or 11 years old and my dad was supposed to come pick us up and take us for ice cream or something like that. And the thing about my dad is my dad was a life of the party kind of a guy. So he wasn't abusive or anything like that. And he's like the guy, he came in and just you lit up because he lit you up, Hmm. you know, and he was supposed to show up and he didn't. And I just remember in that moment sitting there, can still kind of see it and kind of me sitting there on the curb waiting and he didn't show up. And at that moment I cried and everything. And then I said to myself, I'm not going to cry about this anymore. I'm done. And so what I did for much of my life is I just buried the wound that I had from the absence of my father. I mean, when you're rejected by someone who is bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. I mean, just think about, you know, one of your girlfriends who just says, you know what, we've been friends for 30 years. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. As an adult, 
processing that, how difficult that is. Yeah. Now make that bone of your bone and flesh of your flesh. Someone who's supposed to love you like no other, that rejection. And you're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twelve. You can see how that can create an, an issue for for someone, and 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 you don't have a way to process that and understand that. So my way of dealing with it, you know, was two things. One, I just sort of buried it, but then I also got in sports and these other things that I thought would bring my dad to me. I did well academic. I'm thinking, well, surely, you know, I do well in sports, surely. And those things didn't happen. The whole experience kind of came to a head when my father died. So he died in 1998. He had actually changed his life. He had become a pastor and all of this. Really? How old were you? I was in my 30s when this happened. And it all came to a head at his funeral. Because my father was never sort of absent, moved away. I always knew where he was, and he was there for holidays. He just was not involved in my my life on a daily basis in the way the in-house dad would be. And so, you know, I thought, well, we we have a good relationship. We weren't arguing and fighting. And I get to his funeral, and there are people saying all these amazing things about my dad Mm. uh, from the pulpit. You know, just he's this, and he's done that. And and I find myself just becoming enraged. Mm. I'm just furious. I'm like, where is this coming from? I have no idea. So finally, this guy comes up to the pulpit and he says, you know, Pastor Warren, he, you know, he came to me when I was in prison and he helped me and he mentored me and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there in the pew. And I remember that I said to myself, I went to Princeton, Mm. got my MBA at Penn. Did I need to go to prison in order to get my father's love and attention? No one knew I was upset about it except my mother, interestingly. And I, I talked to her about it years later. My wife didn't know, never mentioned it anything. God calls me to National Fatherhood Initiative. I'm giving my very first speech as the newly minted president of National Fatherhood Initiative. And they show this video of this young lady who had grown up without her dad. And, and someone had interviewed her and she was crying about it and whatever. And, and I felt myself welling up. And you don't know me well, but I just was not a guy who cried hardly ever. It just wasn't what I did. I go to the men's room. I'm bawling like a baby, and I'm the next guy up to speak. I'm just crying and crying. Somebody comes in, I kind of chest bump myself and just kind of like eh, splash some water. Like, yeah, right. I get up. I'm ready to do my speech. For some reason, you know, you're a speaker probably too, I decided to link to what it was just on the video. Oh, yeah. And I told the story that I just told you. I burst into tears in front of 400 people. I could not stop myself. I stumbled through the speech, and I realized as I kind of psychoanalyzed myself after that, that in that moment, I wasn't 40 years old or whatever it was. I was that 10-year-old kid sitting under that tree waiting for a dad that didn't show up. Mm. So, you know, God used that early on to give me a heart for, you know, sons who are dealing with this and trying to help you understand that, but also for the moms to understand that even though he may not be talking about this, it's in there, you know, that hole in the soul. And you can't think about the father being gone like he's a peg in a pegboard and you get rid of the peg and now we don't have to deal with the peg. Well, now you have to deal with the hole. Mm. When I read that in your book, Roland, yeah. about how you were crying, you couldn't stop. She looked crying. over and I'm crying. <laughs> but <laughs> Reading I, yeah. your story, but it's similar to mine. I'm also feeling the heart of moms. Like yeah. as a single mom raising sons, we want to fix the hole. You yeah. know, we want to be there to help and even those wounds that are buried deep yes how is a mom like what's the best thing we can do well i think the first thing is just acknowledging that it's there you know one of the key areas is this whole notion of processing loss mm. so there was a lot of loss the loss of my dad uh, my older brother uh, drowned when i was eight and he was 10 uh, my father was gone i mean so loss after loss after loss and 
if you don't process those losses well, then it, there can be problems. So I think the first thing is is really to help your son like acknowledge it. Mm. And I think sometimes there can be a temptation not to talk about it because first off, maybe you don't want to hear the fact that he misses dad. Because you're like, well, wait a minute. He's feel not, inadequate. Right, because he doesn't, well, he doesn't deserve you to miss right, him. Right. I'm the one here. So you feel like your son missing him is somehow a slight against you. It's not mm-hmm. at all a slight against you. It's an acknowledgement of a loss that's there. And so that first step is to acknowledge that loss. And then, with, like with any other loss, because it's sort of the death of fatherhood, that sense, is what do you do? You grieve. So you help your son process this and you've got to go into that area. And that's Mm -hmm. the key piece. And no one ever talked to me about this when I was a kid. No one ever said, what's the absence of your father doing to you? What is it? No one ever addressed it. And I kind of look at my life. I kind of acted out in some way, shapes and forms that, you know, weren't good. But then there were some things I like sports and academics that I, I was pursuing, but I knew other guys who pursued other things and dealt with their father absence through other types of things that were not good things. They, but I think that's the first thing, acknowledging that there's a loss. Yes, there's a loss for you as, as a mom. Maybe your hope and your dream for a husband or whatever he was going to be, there's a loss that you have to deal with. But your son has a loss too, and it's different from yours. It's a different kind of loss. And even though you may be done with a guy and ready to move on, the reality is that he can never be done with him. So to try to draw that out as well. Absolutely. Well, how common is it? You would know better than anybody for single moms to sort of stuff it because my mom stuffed it. Yes. We never had a conversation, not one. When when my dad came to visit Ann and I a month after we're married, literally comes to we're uh, at the University of Nebraska. I'm like the chaplain for the sports teams yeah. there. He comes. We have dinner. Sits down, and here's what happens. I'm sitting beside Ann, and Ann, because she comes from a family, they talk, they, you know, it's different. <laughs> About <world>. everything. She <laughs> yeah, goes, yeah. so Ralph. Sounds like my wife. <laughs> yeah. She looks over at my dad and goes, so, you know, his name was Dave as well, Ralph David. She goes, so, Dave, tell us your side of the divorce. And I, Roland, I'm sitting there like, I mean, I'm grabbing her. Like we know you don't talk about that in our family. Yeah. I've never one time in my life he's squeezing my legs like, so yeah. hard. Like you don't do this, and I'm quiet. thinking, oh boy, here it goes. He is, and he, I'll never forget. He looks back and goes, "Wow, nobody's ever asked me." Okay, and then he tells his story, and I'm like, "Oh, it's a whole different story than I yeah. ever heard." Yeah, it was not allowed to be talked about. So yeah. I'm just wondering. Is that common? I mean, a lot of families just my, stuff it. My sense is because I think this, in some ways, like you said, I mean, to address it is is maybe difficult. I feel like you could feel like that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I always say, don't be upset that you can't give something that you're not designed to give. Mm. And I think that, you know, there's some anger that's tied to this, too. You sure. know? So oh, I think that's yeah. one of the key things. You've got to admit the anger. You've got to address that. You've got to allow for grief. And I actually think that the opposite of what she may feel will happen, I'll just speak for my own life, is it actually deepens your relationship with your son. Mm. So by not going in that area, you actually are distancing yourself in a way that you don't even realize because it's a pain, it's a hole. So when you sit down and say, listen, let's talk a little bit about the loss of your dad. I want to walk with you through that process because you've got to help your son, right, understand that loss, process that loss. And then also there are other things that God wants to have happen, which is healing, forgiveness, all those things, right? Bitterness is a root that yields a bitter fruit. Mm. And if you have that in your own life, 
right, then that's a problem. And if you feed that to your son, that's a problem. Oh, now, how much yeah. would you coach the single mom to tell her son, and it could be a daughter, Yeah. but you're talking sons, her journey. Yeah. I mean, one is, hey, son, how are you processing this? Does she talk about her own process or is that something she just sort of keeps to herself? Well, I think obviously it's age appropriate yeah. in terms of that. But candidly, from my standpoint, it would have been helpful to me to know that my mom was feeling it too. I mean, just think about it, right? Whenever you're, whenever you're having a pain in some area, right? And it's so comforting when other people say to you, you know what? Hey, I'm struggling with that too. Oh yeah. Like the loss of your, I know that hurts you. You know what? It's a loss for me too. And we're on this journey together. Oh, that would have helped you. Would have helped me tremendously. I underlined this in your book when it comes to loss. You said, if you don't stop and process the loss, your son will learn a dangerous lesson. Emotions don't matter and vulnerability isn't necessary for relationships. And then I love this. If you haven't dealt with them, they will deal with you. Yes. And that's what you're saying. That's why you started crying so hard. You had never dealt with the pain. That's right. And you're right. It helps when someone else says, this is hard for me too. It helps you to open up about your own loss. Absolutely. Part of when I was at National Fatherhood Initiative, we spent a lot of time working in prisons. We had a curriculum called Inside Out Dad. So we were in prisons and fatherhood issue runs deep in prisons. Mm. So many of these incarcerated men were boys who grew up without dads. And in my view, there's a danger by not helping him process that because, you know, every gang leader, drug dealer, pimp, whatever, they know that that hole is there and they leverage it. Think about how members in gangs talk about each other and how the gang leader talks about it. We're family. Yeah. We're this. And why are boys drawn to that? By having that conversation and helping him process this in a God-honoring way, you actually are providing a protection for him in the future so that the, the tempter will come. See, I remember as a kid, they came up with uh, the new Coke. You guys might be of an age to remember sure. that, right? And they got really wait, old. Wait, wait, you, you work for Pepsi. What are you talking about? <laughs> I did. <laughs> right. I remember the new Coke and nobody yeah. liked it. Nobody liked it. No. And, and you know who didn't like it? The people who had the real thing. Mm. See, if you had never, ever had Coke before and yeah. somebody gave you this and they said, this is Coke. Oh, okay. This is Coke. But if you had the real thing, you know the difference. So if you don't have a father in your life, for example, and you have that hole and no one's ever helped you process it, you still have that hole, that desire, then guess what? An imitation will come, and that's what the evil one does. He always will bring imitations of the real thing, tapping into a desire that we have in our heart. So that's why engaging in this conversation with your son is so, so helpful to help him process it, because it's better to have you be the one to help him process it than someone who doesn't have his good in mind to help him process it. Because one of the things we know, right, is that the tempter will come no matter where you are, and he's always looking for an opportunity to engage and leverage in in a place where you have pain or or there's not a wholeness. That's where he tends to tap in. And so moms have an enormous opportunity to make that connection uh, for the goodness and really to help their sons grow in, in faith in Christ in terms of that. I mean, when you look back on your childhood and your upbringing, as I look back on mine, for probably into my, I don't know, mid-30s, I felt less than, I felt like my mom did a bad job. And then somewhere in my mid-30s, probably I'm married, I'm a dad now, I'm like, Mm -hmm. she did a great job. Not because I turned out, it was just, I was able to appreciate all the good things she really did. Do you feel the same thing? It's very interesting that you say that because what I realized was that my mother dealt with a lot of loss Mm. and really didn't have a lot of support to help her work through that. 
one of the insights that God gave me was that, you know, sometimes I, I feel like as a, as a single mom, a mom will feel like, you know, what she thought was going to be a life of addition and multiplication becomes a life of subtraction and division. Oh. Right. So you add the husband and then you add the kids and then you add the family and there's multiplication from that. And then there's a breakdown in the relationship. There's a breakdown in the marriage. There's a subtraction of the guy. There's division within the family. And I realized looking at my mom's life, now that I'm older, you know, I was able to process that and go like, wow, I can see where a lot of the pain that she had that she wasn't articulating in the public square and then came through in some ways in, in her parenting process because we're whole people, you know, was connected to that. So God gives us insights. And I just want to encourage the moms out there, maybe if there's a little distance or whatever with, with your sons, just to, you know, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll get there. Give but, them just, time. but I really think one of the prescriptions on the front end is just to engage and to lean in early on so you can start to build that relationship. I think if my mom would have talked about these losses, then I would have been able to see that there's a connection between her loss and my loss, and that would deepen our relationship. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, in Sons of Promise, I actually used the story of Hagar yeah. and Ishmael. I mean, that's the core of that book. Yeah, it's all through. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have time to dive into that, but I would like to hear some of that in our next broadcast. Yeah, me sure. too. And I would just like to say to the single mom, Yeah. and I think Roland and I can feel your pain because we yeah. were your sons have a conversation tonight yeah with your seven-year-old with your 10-year-old son and i would say this don't expect it to go real well he may not respond if you ask hey have you processed this how do you feel he may not be able to answer right away but that could be a seed planted to start a conversation that he'll be able to articulate later i know i did amen to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as power to change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Interesting in mentoring a younger couple or being mentored yourself? Check out Power to Change's mentoring initiative designed to help you avoid those pitfalls we all can fall into. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or go to our website families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab to get started today. You're invited back tomorrow at the same time for another Family Life Today presented by Power to Change in conjunction with this radio station.